It has been an uncharacteristically quiet off-season for the Collingwood Football Club. Armed with not a whole lot to talk about, Pie Hard, the show about Collingwood unearthing the hidden stories, strange beauty and offbeat culture of the pies and beyond, returns for 2021. In our first pod for the year, we talk about our off-season hard-ons and flops, baby magpies, sponsorship machinations, Nike puffer jackets, and we chat to Rana Hussain, a friend of the pod and a member of Collingwood's newly formed expert group on anti-racism. This is Pie Hard Season 3. Looking at Collingwood today, it's hard to imagine that this was one of the toughest suburbs in Melbourne. I have a magpie tattooed in a certain spot. I wouldn't say it's the biggest magpie getting around. Out of control brawl outside a Collingwood pub. 60 years ago, it was lined with boot factories. As gritty, grotty suburbs in prime locations turned into trendy hotspots. One's had five bounces, nearly get another one. He's the smartest guy on the team. You don't have too many to pick from. You've got to go back to Billy Graham at the MCG for an American to dominate like this. The bubbles bursting three decades of grand final wobbles. I still can't believe it. I can. Oh. A weekend order by the club of 288,000 cans to be consumed. More comfortable in myself. It's as close as you'll get to greatness, you peanut. Shut up. Oh, the end of that sting just hits a bit different, doesn't it, now? (laughs) Hello, everybody, and welcome to season three of Pie Hard. It's great to be back. As always, joined by fellow Pie Harder, Alex Watkins. Alex, welcome to uh, Pie Hard in 2021. A slightly new look Pie Hard, uh, buffed around the edges, uh, lick of paint, um, taking out some of the shit stuff, added some more stuff, uh, and keen to see how it all comes together in the pot. How are you, Alex? Look, if the if the club's going to do a big clean out, we may as well do a clean out at Pie <laughs> Hard. Um, I'm tired and the season hasn't even begun, so it's an auspicious start to 2021, but I'm um, looking forward to getting into it. It's been it. exhausting, isn't it? But I think before we start, we should do a shout out to the uh, Pie Hard Massey, Massive. We uh, we uh, clicked over a thousand followers uh, during the off season um, on our little humble mm-hmm. Instagram page, so shout out mm-hmm. to everyone. That's a obviously a pretty significant um, milestone for Pie Hard. Massive. So great to have you all on board. If you're new... Uh, strap in, um, by all means, hit us up on, on our Instagram and Twitter feeds. Let us know what you think. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know what you want us to cover. And of course, uh, we will be happy to oblige. So Al, I think there's a lot to cover. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's pretty excited to, um, to welcome a guest. We do have a guest joining us on the pod a little later on to delve into one of the biggest issues, uh, around the Collingwood, uh, football club. Over what's been, as you said, a really taxing summer. But I think, I think before we jump into our off-season hard-ons and flops, I, I think we should, we should just take a pause and take a break to uh, to acknowledge that there has been a lot of uh, a lot of news emanating from the uh, Lexus Centre. We will be hitting on some of the big subjects and. It would be remiss of us not to um, confront some of uh, some of the the big cultural shifts that are taking place at the club. So we look forward to getting that getting into that later with Rana, um, and and hopefully eventually we actually see some footy this year, and that I think would be a tonic for all of us. Let's dive straight into it. We uh, 
have been obviously watching the uh, the off season like uh, like hawks. Um, not much slips past the uh, the pie hard these t- these days when it comes to the uh, cultural moments at the Collingwood Football Club. So we introduced this segment last year and we're going to persevere with it. It's called Hard-Ons and Flops. Now, Hard-Ons and Flops yeah. is our opportunity to look at the... It's basically the fortnight in review. So Pie Hard's a fortnightly mm-hmm. pod. We go back and we look at what got us hard and what oh, made yeah. us flop. Now, this is a special yeah. off-season um, edition. So we're trying to we're going to cover off maybe a couple each. So I was going to throw to you, Al. I was going to see what your uh, your first hard on of the off season uh, is. Yeah, look, it was a struggle. Um, the, the opening with the hard on segment, I thought um, you couldn't really named it uh, more poorly um, <laughs> for the feeling that I've uh, feeling that I've endured over mm. the off season. If there was an anti Viagra tablet. Mm. I think the quiet summer, as we've experienced, it mm. would be that. So it, it a very flaccid, flaccid feeling um, for most mm. Collingwood sports. But look, if there was a hard on, I decided to to open with um, the most topical uh, hard on, I suppose, um, that I could come up with. I think it's the players' public apology mm. um, in, at a time when there was massive pressure on the club, massive pressure on the president. Um, the whole fabric of the place really being challenged. I thought it was, I thought it was uh, an interesting and uh, important step for the players to come out with a public mm. apology, uh, separate from the administration of the club. And I, I just love seeing any moment in AFL in this roboticized, homogenized era of AFL. Any opportunity for players to show agency, mm. to show they've got skin in the game, they've got brains. Um, and they've got opinions on these big issues like racism. Um, seeing the public apology, it just heartened me that, you know, there was enough leadership from within the playing mm. group um, to step forward and, and put themselves out there. So that, that's that's my one heart on really for the offseason. It was, it was a welcome tonic, wasn't it? It came at just the right time. I think it was a couple of days after the press conference and um, everyone was kind of looking around. I know fans were looking around for, for someone at the club to stand up. And look, my, my question to you, and this is a question I had when it came out. So obviously it's penned by the entire uh, organization, the playing group, um, men's and women's football clubs, but we know it would have been, it would have been driven largely by a couple of individuals. And do we, do we think that that was being driven by our, our leaders uh, at the club? Or do you think, well, they, they're also leaders, but this modern um, brigade, so the, uh, the Darcy Moores and the, and the Brody Grundies, the, the players that we know carry their heart on their sleeves, they're intelligent, they're articulate, um, they certainly bring a new perspective to, to issue, issues and matters of, of this that carry such gravitas. Do we think this was being driven by your, your Pendlebury's and, and, and your coaching staff, or is this, is this coming from the, from the boys? It's a good question, hard one to answer. Um, I like to think that it was a broad coalition of players, but I think you're right. I mean, it needs you need people to stand up and lead, especially the younger blokes. I mean, if you're coming into the club, you're 18 years old, you're hardly in a position to like suggest that you make a, a, a public a statement on these massive global issues. Mm. Um, I like your um, inference that it could have been uh, Darcy, the gazelle. We love mm. the gazelle. He's the best-looking um, member of the mm. club. And bar none, um, and I think he does has shown that he has a social conscience. Mm. And I believe that at some stage he 
articulated, I suppose, a, a different position from Eddie mm. right in the in the in the thick of that um, turmoil. Mm. Um, so it could have been the gazelle. Um, Pendles is an interesting mm. one. I mean, how much how much of a player has a player who's been around for many years? How how much has he been kind of just tarnished a little bit with the same brush? When we're talking about players playing in the 2000s mm. in the Heretia Lumumba era, I'm not suggesting Pendles himself has, has been uh, an abusive or outwardly racist um, member of the playing group, but how much is he leading the charge? He, I know that he's very engaged with uh, American sports and particularly basketball. You know, if you haven't heard, he played basketball as a junior. Um, so perhaps his engagement mm. with the NBA mm. would would potentially push him to like be similarly active in that in this area mm. but um yeah difficult one to answer i mean if we do get a chance to uh, speak to any of uh, the players mm. uh, in the next few months or maybe we just um get them in a headlock at training mm. after training on the way down the race we could um find out who is the ringleader mm. but anyway it was heartening and i guess just to finish up on this little um i guess uh, just our little touching on uh, this this very big issue mm. i'm not suggesting that the play the players apology was in any way really a, um, I guess, a fix uh, for the situation in the club. But it just showed, I think, a bit of generational change. Mm. And I think that society-wide, that's probably like a step in the right direction. It's probably what we need. And obviously with Eddie uh, leaving, and we'll touch on that later, um, generational change is probably... Um, is probably a good thing in context of the club. Well, I like that you mentioned the word change because I feel like that has been a consistent theme for the Collingwood Football Club over the off-season. And so it leads to my first hard-on, and it's a little bit of a lighter topic, this one, but uh, uh, we haven't heard from this man in seven months. But uh, I'll tell you what, I saw images of Nathan Buckley at the uh, the team photo shoot the other week, and mm. I have never seen him look more svelte and more chiselled and lighter, he seems to be. He's, he's he was an imposing footballer, right? He had these broad shoulders. He had these massive arms. Now he's kind of like not diminished, but he is he is just ripping what can be really only considered as one of the all time uh, fantastic AFL divorced dad bods. <laughs> and it, it takes a lot of significant change in your personal life, um, a lot of upheaval. A lot of looking yourself in the mirror, a lot of uh, embracing new technologies and new apps um, to really, you know, go extra hard off the over the off season. And he has he has lost at least fourteen and a half kilograms. Uh, his skin is looking a lot uh, clearer. Um, he's got that he's got that look in his eye that's just you know he's obviously having a wonderful time at the moment. So. Uh, Buck's dad bod, divorced dad bod. Uh, oh, geez, that's my first hard on. It's funny, like I remember when he first took over as coach, you know, he he was struggling, this is a decade mm. ago now, struggling not to engage in the drills. Mm. You know, he uh, you could tell he still rated, he, he rated himself as probably the best kick on the team mm. for that first kind of two years of coaching. Mm. And you, you'd think he'd kind of fill out and maybe... Um, you know, he'd step away from the gym. Mm. Um, but it's amazing what a divorce can do for <laughs> you, your body, as you're saying. Mm. I mean, it's obviously been – I don't know how you go about being a senior coach and going through a divorce mm. and having pressure on your career and then added with all the cultural 
turmoil at the club. I mean, the guy presents a remarkably calm exterior. Mm. Um, and maybe that's because he is able to um, let a lot of steam off in the gym. And so good on him. Bucks, you know, looking good. Let's hope that transfers to um, to coaching well. Okay. Do you have any other hard-ons before we move to our flops? I don't have a, another hard-on um, at this stage. I'm really looking forward to the football starting mm. and how good is it going to be. To and, and even more than that, um, getting uh, to the MCG. So that'll be a hard-on for weeks to come. But my first flop, uh, my first flop would be... Okay, let's call a spade a spade. The debacle of the trade period. Mm. Now, I was trying to come up with, you know, some funny angle or interesting kind of take on the off-season flops, but then I thought, you know what, like, we have to address at least for a moment the Ned Guy fiasco. Now, Ned Guy is a friend of the Mm. club, famously um, said to us, uh, he'll surprise you in in relation to Josh Dacos when Josh Dacos was um, uh, still a shit player. Uh, he's a friend of the show, um, but I, I must come out in Ned's defence. Basically, what a fucking shit fight of a job. Mm. The bloke's the bloke's told, or the bloke's in a situation where he has to, and it's an official strategy within the club to dump contracts. Mm. It's an official strategy to get rid of two of our best talents who are sucking up a lot of money. Mm create cap space. And then he's told, well, by the way, the whole football world's going to know that you have to dump mm, these mm. contracts. So you've got absolutely no negotiation, no, no ability to push for a good deal mm. because everyone knows what the outcome has to be from a Collingwood point of view. And add to that <laughs> his austere mm. communication Demeanor, skills, yeah. exacerbated <laughs> by the incredible... Torching mm. he's receiving from the media, from mm. the likes of David King. Is it David King? The North Melbourne Not bloke. to mention the Twitter throng. Oh, my gosh. He's under fire. Um, it's an ugly picture, um, and it was a disastrous trade period. So, look, there's a flop, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of Collingwood supporters would agree things didn't go quite so well. Let's hope, let's hope that um, the draft period, mm. which came thereafter, over time proves that, you know, that it kind of mitigates some of the disastrous effects of losing Stevenson, Trelaw and others. Mm, interesting. All right. Well, I have a flop. What's your and, flop? And uh, it's to do with Collingwood announcing a seven-man leadership group. Now, mm. I, I have an issue. I have a couple of issues. My first issue is is seven players within the leadership group. I, I feel like that's that's grossly over the top. Not only is it only going to lead to problems, but my big issue with Collingwood's leadership group, and I think a lot of uh, pie-hard listeners will agree, there was a a glowing admission. So for a couple of years now, we have been waiting for one of our favourites on pie-hard, Braden Sire, um, to be elevated into a position of senior leadership and now we've seen him take leadership in in many different guises over the last few months from fashion to music to art to culture to everything that we stand by at Pie Hard. And mm-hmm. there is a lot of theories in the modern game of football and sport in a wider sense that you don't need 
the tried and true cookie cutter leader of the past, the, uh, you know, the quiet, stoic, um, you know, don't uh, watch me do, don't listen to me tell. I, I think I think the old style of leadership is out and there needs to be mm. a regeneration, a fresh, bombastic approach, very out there bombastic. on this, very out there on social media, um, a little bit confrontational maybe in, in, in st- styles, but guaranteed to, uh, um, you know, shake up the fox hen, the, the, the hen house. So Braden Sy being overlooked for um, Collingwood's leadership group, again, a big missed opportunity. And you know what I loved about Braden's um, off-season was um, he was able to play a number of roles. He played the M&M role, the platinum peroxide hair mm. he came it was a bit it was a strong mm. look it was barely a week before he'd shave the m&m mm. hair uh, into a mohawk mm. almost a dustin martin style thing but blonde mm. um then you go there's the travis bickle taxi driver mm. look um so that's a different type of leader again mm. and there's been a 30 duration don't know that you've seen in recent days he's shaved it all all oh, right no i haven't seen that but that just shows his evolution so that's three mm. new haircuts between Christmas and round mm. one. Um, I wonder, Damo, like if you're a coach mm. um, and you're you've you're taking these young players under your under under your wing and you're trying to allow them to reach their potential. Mm. Are you the kind of coach that's that kind of says, "Look, mate," takes them aside after training and says, "Look, mate, you know you're not that good yet. Mm. Like, just get rid of that." You know, like you know, it's a bit the same with the, the colourful boots. Like, do you want them to kind of Toe the line, or, or what you're saying is perhaps there's a new way mm. of letting these kids blossom. Yeah, there's a new way, and I think we touched on this last year. I think one of the key performance indicators for a young person getting a te- uh, getting a um, a debut in the Collingwood Football um, Club now is their performance on social media, and I think for a long time it's been overlooked um, as as a key performance indicator and a measurement of of how they're tracking. But I think as the years progress, we are going to be looking more and more to TikTok to Instagram and to Twitter to see what these guys are doing because if they are growing followers and if they are, you know, making a cultural impact in that sense, then that is confidence and positivity that will translate into the modern game. So I think no more are we looking at these guys and saying, um, rein it in. I think we're, we're, um, we're encouraging and, and, and asking these guys to flourish. Look at the recruits. Um, look at the haircuts amongst the recruits. Um, Ollie Henry's a, a big surprise for me. He's kind of got the uh, Leo DiCaprio curtain look from from the 1990s, classic heartthrob <laughs> manoeuvre. He's gone totally against the grain. He's gone against the fade. He's gone against the mohawk. Uh, he's rocking what you would consider a 90s sort of office cut. <laughs> Isn't he just an old school like country He's boy? old school, yeah. I'm he reminds sure us. He, he does he's remind not... us of uh, one that got away, Logan McDonald, and that is, you know, the, the 40-year-old rookie. <laughs> And um, yeah, the forty-year-old rookie—he's going to come back. We'll but we're saying yeah, we are—we we are getting. We're going to do Logan Watch. That's going to be a new segment on Pie Hard where we count the days until Logan is uh, Anthony Rocker styled out of the uh, the Sydney Swans nest. But we're getting ahead of us ahead of ourselves. I think we'll finish up the uh, segment there. But we do love uh, an exhibitionist on Pie Hard, and we can't get enough of you, Braden Sire. So leadership, maybe next year we'll see. Um, just you know, keep up the strumming, and we'll uh, we'll see where we get to. Okay. 
Okay, so our next segment uh, on Pie Hard, and you uh, set this one up beautifully with your flop, Alex, was a new segment we're calling He'll Surprise You. And as you touched on, they were the words that came out of Ned Guy's mouth. I think it was on a beach in Lawn when he was accosted by a member of Pie Hard and asked to uh, give a download on young Josh Dacos's form. So my question for you, Alex, is which baby magpie will take flight in 2021? Well, it's a good question, Damien. Um, uh, there's a number of candidates for the He'll Surprise You inaugural uh, nomination, in my books anyway, and um, I settled on three finalists in my mind. I'm not going to draw this out, which of course means I'm probably going to draw it out. My third place is the Smokey. Didn't quite make, uh, make the Hill Surprise You um, level, but Tom Wilson? The Swede? Mm, the Swede, yeah. The basketballer? I didn't realise mm. that he was an elite basketballer. Um, everyone's mm. a fucking elite. It's like recruiters think if you get an elite basketballer at that junior age, there's mm. like a 50% chance they're going to end up being Pendlebury. Pendlebury, yeah. It's a Pendlebury effect, isn't it? But he's been there for like, what, two years? And mm. we what we've seen him in like preseason match. Um, weirdly, I was listening to a podcast the other day, an old podcast, which was Pendles' podcast, the one he does with Jay mm. from the Herald Sun. And he was Never saying, heard of it. Yeah, I forget what it's called, but um, oh, it's mm. called the Jock and Journo Show. And Pendlebury talks with the journalist and, um, you know, you get a bit of insight from the skipper and um, he said... Sounds, sounds, sounds riveting. Well, look, it's Pendlebury's... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but it's not the cultural mm. podcast that we're mm, no, it's not, is it? But, no. but Pendles is a deep thinker when it comes to the strategy of the game and he does right, give good right. insights into other players and other superstars sure. and whatever. Sure, anyway, sure, sure. this is a podcast from 2019 and Pendles said Tom Wilson looks ready to go he could debut this year that was 2019 mm. like we haven't i don't i haven't even heard that has he even been in an emergency yet anyway so i'm wasting mm. time he's a smoky second place mm. quainor i think good money for quainor um for the he'll surprise you i'm not sure how surprising it's going to be we know he has a beautiful breaking boot and he's proactive off the halfback he's got speed he's got the looks mm. um, oh, yeah love him but first place he'll surprise you for me um, and I, if we're talking birds taking flight, baby magpies taking flight, and perhaps it's an ibis, ibis mm. of the long mm. neck, mm. long-necked ibis, Tyler mm. Brown. Oh yes, he's got a long neck, and he's he got, does have a very um, long neck. He's got some muscle. He's put on some muscle, I should say, in the mm. off season. Mm. He's looking good in the picks, and um, I just saw him do some very deft handballing last year when he did play, mm. um, and he's just kind of just lingering in that. Um, you know, young player kind of mould, like Josh Dacos was, hmm. you know, 18 months ago. And you just feel like with his body size, his height, his mobility, his pedigree, his father, hmm. you know, his genes, hmm. uh, that he could be the magpie to take flight. And I'm hoping he is. And and, and looked, potentially overtake his brother, mind you. Was, was it the last game? It was one of the games towards the end of the last season. He looked really good. He looked really good. It was. It wasn't. You wouldn't call it a breakout game, but he definitely exhibited enough to warrant selection in the uh, "He'll Surprise You" first segment of um, Pie Hard Season Three, Twenty Twenty One. He does have a long neck. Does a long neck help or hinder? Um, I think um, it's certainly a boon to your um, mm. to your you know potential, especially playing as a forward. If you can imagine, you've got um, 
uh, a backman kind of leaning in on you, getting in your way, mm. like blocking that path, uh, that leading path, um, just to be able to stick your neck around that mm. wide body mm. and yeah. poke your neck around, see where the ball's coming See what's in. coming, see what's around the corner. Potentially stick your neck around one way than the other way mm. in, in quick succession, um, mm. like an ibis kind of pecking, pecking yeah, at definitely. the air. Um, so, Tyler. Could... Could, could definitely help with the new interpretation of the standing on the mark rule because if you've got a couple more inches in the uh, neck region, that's just a, a little bit more added pressure for the, uh, for the guy on the, on the you know, kicking the ball, really. Yeah, what's the new uh, – I, I saw a headline. What, what is it? I haven't looked into it. I think you just have to stand still. What? Like be stationary. Yeah, I think so. What I think like, so. There's a lot of there's a lot of chatter about it on uh, socials, to be honest. I haven't really looked at it. I, I think like, there's just a lot as of – As in feet planted in the earth, you can wave your hands around, right? Uh, oh, geez, good question. I, I think you can move your hands. I've put you, put you on the spot uh, here. No, 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 no. Look, look, look we uh, honestly have no idea, but I think you can You can move your arms. <laughs> well, you can't have a situation uh, but, where the umpire has to, like, mm, analyse how rock still the individual yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. It's a good question, and maybe the Pie Hard uh, audience can help us out. What the fuck is the deal with this new rule? Can you move your arms? Uh, hit us up, Pie Hard, uh, at Pie Hard Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Can you move your arms? Uh, we'd love to hear from you. I have a, I have a he'll surprise you. Mm-hmm. And I've been watching this kid. I think he's, to be honest, he's been um, training the house down. Mm. Uh, so I've been watching him at training. We do have our track watchers down there at the Lexus Center who do go down and give us reports. Annabelle. And Annabelle. Yeah. Annabelle. Shout we're, out to Annabelle. We're going to get um, on this pod this year. We need to get you on the podcast, Annabelle. Enough is enough. You need to uh, you bring your articulation skills to this podcast and maybe help us improve ours. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've been watching this kid um, and he goes by the name of Nick Dacos. Oh. And I think, I think why he'll surprise us is because I just love, I I just love that this kid isn't even drafted yet, and we are just he he's just one of them. He's got his own shirt, he's got his own shorts, he's in there in all the senior drills. I don't think he's missed a training session yet. I, I mean, the kids should be at school. I don't know what's going on, but I think the audacity of the Collingwood Football Club to select Nick Dacos in round one and give him a debut. And cop whatever measly fine the AFL throws at you for playing a non-drafted footballer, I think would be one of the most audacious middle finger salutes to to a football league that's ever happened. So he'll surprise you. He'll surprise <laughs> us by being selected and playing the first game against the Western Bulldogs, going against every single thread of logic that you might have about a uh, a non-drafted player playing for a football team. I think you said, Damo, the other day that it's a real flex. Having oh, it is Nick, a flex. I mean, having the photos of Nick on the website of him training, it's a massive flex. I reckon the flex would be even more intense if they hmm. actually had him in his school. Um, <laughs> in his blazer. In his school blazer rocking up. <laughs> then he's like school football Guernsey, just mixing it in with the black and white. It is. It's a massive flex because he's literally he's featured more than like once in every single like training gallery. It's like he's he's featured more than like players that have been there for ten years, yeah. and it's just it's just not only is it titillating and exciting, but I, I just love the balls 
the testicles involved just to, um, you know, call this kid a Collingwood footballer 12 months out from a draft where he may or may not be selected by the Collingwood Football Club. Obviously, we think he will. Oh, and the um, irony it, It's of just him, a genius um, move. The irony of him uh, potentially nominating Carlton <laughs> as his club of choice because he's, he's a Carlton supporter growing up. I don't know what, Peter, you were doing. I mean, I, if fatherhood, if being like the best player of, you know, your generation in the, in the black and white stripes mm. doesn't make it incumbent upon you to raise your children, Mm. As a magpie. What was he doing? I mean, I Josh know, got the memo. Josh, uh, no, what's his name? Nick has ripped off a uh, pie hard post. Uh, this is this is a, a breaking news. He has Get ripped out. off a, a, one of our uh, pie hard posts in the past and we did give him a cheeky little message. Not that we hold it against him. Nothing's original. Um, everything is stolen. But uh, that probably just, you know, demonstrates the the pedigree of, of being a Carlton supporter that you would... Uh, Oh, that grubby, you would um, grubby, you would do grub. that to uh, uh, Collingwood's number one cultural podcast, Pie Hard. Okay, let's move on uh, onto a subject that we hold dear to our heart. Uh, this is a little segment that we like to call Pies Wide Shut. The club was on the bottom. I know we were broke. Eddie had a vision and we're prepared to live to that vision. Great disappointment that uh, this afternoon the Collingwood Football Club uh, has resigned from its partnership with the Transport Accident Commission. Smoking shadows behind the window. Joined again by Alex Weisslitz from Thorny Investments. We continue to um, populate the portfolio, what we hope will be the cream of the cake. Bigger and better just keeps getting better and better. Three year multi-million dollar sponsorship with the most storied and famous club in all of Australian professional sports. Toasts will be replaced with tears though when the last Holden rolls off the assembly line in Adelaide. I sat down with Ed last week and resigned as the, uh, the CEO of the Collingwood Football Club. 32 years of struggle, ridicule and humiliation as the Collingwood Football Club once again regained its title as the most famous and successful sporting club in Australia. I've just realised that every sting we have heavily features our ex-president. And it's going to be a week's worth of work to redo them. We need to have a word to our interns. We need to scrub any... It's like, you know, when you break up with an ex on Instagram, you have to go back through your... uh... Yeah, through the old posts and, and delete. I think there's an app that actually does that. But uh, yes, this is Pies Wide Shut. This is our, um, well, this is a favorite of ours. This is a moment where we look into the shady dealings of the Collingwood Football Club from a corporate sense, the sponsorships, um, you know, the internal machinations of a football club that, uh, you know, that keep the motors running. And we're going to start with uh, something that's been bugging us for a while. Now, I think that, what we're trying to understand at um, Pie Hard is why the fuck are we still calling the Holden Center the Holden Center? Holden has not been in operation in this country for approximately seven months. Very sad story. Shout out to all our friends at Holden, uh, big fans of the pod. But... What's going on? I know we've had significant issues over the last three months, but what is the Collingwood sales team doing? This is prime real estate. This is this. We've just had the Australian Open. We've got the basketball going on. Melbourne's back open. Uh, I think they've added an extra lane. 
on Olympic Boulevard. So the uh, the foot traffic, the footfall has um, quadrupled in the last six months. What's going on with the uh, the Holden Centre? The concern is that um, with Eddie gone, um, not much happens in this regard and we're stuck with the Holden Centre. Let's be honest, we, we want something a little bit classier than Holden, don't we? We want Mercedes or we want Lexus back. We want something that's a little bit more accurate when it comes to the quality of the football club that it's representing. Well, true story. Uh, my wife had a uh, Holden Astra and mm. she purchased it for do, one... Do tell, do tell. Purchased it for $1 uh, off mm. my brother. Um, mm. He said he was going to give it to charity, but he decided to give it to her instead. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know which charity was going to accept a 2002 mm. Holden Astra, but mm. recently we moved house, we decided to declutter, and, mm. um, well, the Astra was out. And um, mm. the resale of these Astras, resale values just skyrocketed. <laughs> we got a bloke rocks up uh, in a uh, tow truck, gives right. us 420 bucks for the right. uh, Holden Astra. So that's a win. <laughs> Four- 420 I like that so yeah collector's item the uh the Holden Astra so all right maybe maybe there's something in that maybe we uh maybe we sell the uh Holden Center to a uh an automobile collector potentially well it's it does beg the question where Mm. we're going from here Mm. because we should be a real uh you know bastion of Australian brands Mm, mm, and we mm. should use our power in the marketplace and the power of mm. our jumper mm. um, to be promoting as much as possible uh, mm. local brands. And I wonder if there's any um, brands that could have done with our help mm. before they went under. Well, here's a couple. The Brashes Centre. Brashes, yes, yes. Mm, Brashes is a good one. Potentially Barnacle Bills, the Barnacle Bills uh, Arena. <laughs> what was Barnacle? Uh, was that food? Bar- bar- yeah, Barnacle Bills was... Um, a uh, sort of fish and chips oh, yeah. type uh, fast food menagerie type setup. I think it was in Monterna. <laughs> menagerie. Um, uh, not to be confused what else? with the lobster cave. What about, this is a good one. This is one close to home. What about the uh, Star Athletic Center? Well, I mean, the thing about Star Athletic, and I might be jumping ahead here, is... No, jump ahead. Is, we need uh, to. Is um, <laughs> Nike. Let's talk about mm, Nike. Let's talk about Nike. There's been a bit of... Um, mm. There's been a bit of... Excitement, I'd say, on the socials mm. from Collingwood supporters, um, particularly in the Narry Warren and Epping regions, because mm. the signing of Nike has meant a boost to the credibility of the club merch. Um, can I just can I can I just situate the listener? Just for those who don't know, Nike is a large American um, apparel brand. Yeah, um, yeah. So just, just making on. their first inroads into the Australian market, and they've chosen mm. a good brand to associate with, um, being the Collingwood Football Club. Mm. Nike, I've got mixed feelings about Nike. I mean, I get it, mm. right? You've got the tick and it it's synonymous with like high-level athletes basically mm. in the NBA, um, mm. you know, ever since Jordan. And it's sexy, right? It's sexy. Mm, mm, mm. I mean, who doesn't want to see Darcy Moore or mm. Isaac Quainall, mm. you know, with an ear uh, stud? Oh, yeah, Nike ear stud. And a Nike swoop. Mm at the neckline of the goods. Mm. I mean, it is sexy. But I've got some misgivings about it just based on the fact that Collingwood is traditionally, you know, a working mm. class underdog club. Mm. And I think mm. um, I think we the Star Athletic pedigree was far more in keeping mm. with mm-hmm. that. Um, and, you know, in our introduction to the entire pod, the theme song, 
it talks about Collingwood being the home of boot factories. I mean, that, mm. that, that's where we've come from. Mm. Is Nike really a good alignment with the brand? I don't know, but, you know, maybe I'm just being a, a, an old codger. I think the younger generation, um, I think a lot of people are jumping right on board. It's not, not where I thought you'd go with that. I, I actually, I, I feel those pangs um, when I do see Nike because I, I agree. I think we've just touched on it with the Holden Center renaming. I think Collingwood is, you know, deserves the very best. The very best in apparel, the very best in sponsorships, the very best in players, the very best in performance, the very best in coaching. We deserve that. We're the biggest club. Um, we're the most fabled club. We deserve that. We don't have that, <laughs> obviously. Um, but I, the, the pang I get is that for as long as I've known the Collingwood Football Club in our greatest moments, we've been aligned with Adidas. And oh, okay. the story of Nike and Adidas, the uh, the rivalry is intense. Mm. It's it, you know it's Sampras Agassi levels. So I, I think for me the issue is like if you look back at all of those um, images of 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 you know the days of yore where Collingwood's wearing the three stripe um, black athletic warm up tops. I know we had a dalliance with Puma in the '90s, and that was fair. That was when Grass Cats and uh, Puma Kings were all the rage, and mm. that, that 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 was totally acceptable. That that ushered in the era of um, the synthetic polyester, um, silky jersey from from the woolen knit that we had um, that that was ubiquitous with the, uh, with football at the time. But I just think that um, we've strayed away from you know from the tradition, and I. I think um, Stripes Over Checks. And with Stripes Over Checks, again, just to situate the listener, the Adidas Stripes over the Nike Check, the Nike Tick. Ah, okay. um, mm, I'm, just, I'm just finding a little bit hard to reconcile. But to be honest, I haven't bought any of the gear. I know a lot of people have raced out there. I'm actually, I've got a pass to the Nike um, employee store on Friday. So I'll be going along there to um, sample some of the wares. I believe it's 40% off. So I'm looking forward to that all new range. Um, so potentially might uh, might have a look and, and come back to you guys in a fortnight's time with a review of, of, of Nike garments. But look, it's 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 a it's a it's a stepping stone in the right direction. Um, Nike and Collingwood, uh, you know, strange bedfellows. I'm sure they're very impressed with the news of the last six or seven weeks. No doubt. I reckon we're going to see when we do finally get to the G, just mm. an absolute explosion of. Um... 21 year old men just head to toe the full tracksuit. Nike. Um, I can't take claim for this. Um, and it's going to have to go to Kelly. Shout out to Kelly. Um, she's an Adelaide Crows fan. But there is a way that the Collingwood Football Club could make $5 million overnight. Oh, tell me more. All the Collingwood Football Club needs to do, and I believe Simon Prestigiacomo runs the, mer- the merch. Um, uh, section unless he was laid off uh, due to COVID but all the Collingwood Football Club needs to do is release a Nike branded black puffer jacket like your Kathmandu special with a Collingwood logo on the chest plate and I swear to God you would sell 10,000 overnight the weather's dropping winter's coming you can't go to the football. You can't escape the black puffer jacket in Melbourne. Minimalist. But I'm yet to see a Collingwood branded one. No, you're spot on. Minimalist. And that's that's always been the problem with the club merch. It's like, they, they, I don't know who they get to design this shit. No, who thinks this but shit? But it's got like, like, it's always got like, every year it's be something different, like grey panels 
or oh, something. Like, What's going on horrible. there? I'm like, weird, uh, obviously, placement of like CGU, CGU everywhere. It's like, mm, who wants mm, to wear mm. fucking CGU? I agree. Go black on black, with a little bit mm. of white, Nike tick, Pies logo. It's a winner. And it brings me to the, I just remembered, there was mm. an interesting off-season um, moment we haven't touched on, was that you contacted the club in regard mm. to the background of their media wall, like yeah, the, the media wall. Yeah. What happened there? Take us through it. Uh, so, uh, look, we've we've long been fans of the. Uh, I'll try and do this quickly. We've long long been fans of the Las Vegas Raiders for their branding. It's very menacing. They have the pirate logo. They really embrace the bad boy dark side of the uh, NFL, and we think that Collingwood actually has a right to claim that. Mm. Uh, but what we're not seeing is those is is those is that kind of color palette like washed through. We are seeing the gray tones and all the all the CGU greens and shit like that. So one thing that has always pissed me off is a requirement for AFL clubs to just litter the backdrop of press conferences with as many goddamn logos as possible. Mm. And it's just it's it's sickening, really. I mean, we get it, we get it. CGU and Latrobe Financial sponsor the club. But for far too long, I believe that the corporate partners have been dictating to us how their logo should appear. When mm. in actuality, the club should be saying, no, if you're a sponsor of the club, piss off your colored logo, send us a white transparent logo yeah. because we are going to create one of the most menacing sponsor boards you've ever seen. Imagine the Nike tick Collingwood logo and then the Emirates logo in white. Oh. Set that up, print that out. Beautiful. And instantly, Nathan Buckley looks 10 times hotter. And the sponsors, you know, we all know that white on black uh, is punchy and stands through. So, everyone wins. Why stop there? Collingwood Pirates. <laughs> Collingwood Pirates. Yeah. And also, we need a fucking poem. Like a poem. They've got a poem. Mm. Raiders, yeah, they've got know? a poem. Yeah, the, yeah. The they've, they've got a poem. We need a poem. Yeah. Where's our poem? We should, Flor- we should do a seance. Floriat Pika doesn't have quite mm. like, the, the menace. Mm. I agree, though. Let's get some fucking... Um, Let's get some working class grit back into this. Yeah, club. let's get some grit. I actually, I had another idea for um, uh, in match entertainment, and that was, and tell me this wouldn't go crazy on socials, but I would get a professional drummer to dress up in the Collingwood mas- mascot outfit, and I would just have the, I'd, I'd wheel a drum, listen, I'd I wheel like a drum kit out. Yeah, I'd, I'd wheel a drum kit out into the center of the MCG, and five minutes before the game starts, I'd just have the magpie mascot drumming the shit out of whatever queen yeah. or or your acdc and you know you know how cool that would look a fully oh, genius you know sweating like a sweating like a madman in the suit oh and then and, on the, you know, first yeah. final a flock of magpie drummers oh you just oh, imagine yes. that all around the center square <laughs> yeah exactly 60 yeah, of white, them 60 drum white, kits yeah white stripe style exactly and so you know tell me that wouldn't get you know, 10,000. I love it. And it's the simplicity views. that's brilliant. I mean, I think Port mm. Adelaide's onto something we've, we've discussed this before. Everyone admires their in excess, um, mm. you know. I mean, it's just simple. Sing a fucking classic song, <laughs> get the emotions flowing, um, yeah. and make it core to the brand, never tear mm. us apart. I mean, Side mm. by Side is tired. Side by Side mm-hmm. is... is we love it. It's it's got nostalgia. It's got uh, history. It's tainted, isn't it? It's a bit tainted. Well, now, now isn't it's it? been tainted by it's got a stink. Nathan. Um, mm. Well, let's not get into that. No, the text message. Yeah, the text message that. from Eddie. Side by side question mark. That's right. Yeah, we'll, mm. and we'll mm. delve into some of those issues mm. a bit mm. later mm. with Rana. But um, mm. 
No, I think there's a lot of work for the branding team to be done, and they should they should look at Pie Hard as potential. What's the word? Uh, consultants, consultants mm, in the mm, brand space. Mm. Brand consultants. Yeah, I think that would be wonderful. Okay, that was Pies Wide Shut. Rana Hussain is an old friend of the pod. She's a diversity and inclusion leader and consultant. She specializes in sport, corporate leadership, and not-for-profit organizations. She's worked with the Richmond Football Club, Cricket Australia, NBA star Ben Simmons on his Do More anti-racism campaign. She's also the co-host of the Outer Sanctum podcast. She recently joined the Collingwood Football Club's newly formed expert group on anti-racism to assist the club to develop a framework for change and provide better community leadership on addressing racism. Part of the Independent Do Better Report. And it's uh, so great to have her on PyHard. Rana, welcome and thanks uh, for taking the time. Ah, oh, thank you so much. I finally made it onto PyHard. I'm very happy right now. <laughs> Where does this rank in terms of those achievements that, that I just listed? Is it... <laughs> But it's, it's right up there, to be honest. I thought I'd, I wasn't sure how I could get on this show, so I figured I might as well do some work for the club to to make it on here. Actually, well, we are wrapped to have you on board, and that that is the way to uh, a pie hard heart. So now we we all know that you've been eagerly waiting all day to come on this podcast and talk to two middle aged privileged <laughs> white males about racism. So once again, thank you so much. I'm going to start with the first question. <laughs> So you've, it's a really interesting journey and you've found yourself at a very interesting intersection between diversity and sport. So we just want to know what, mm. what drew you to sport in the first place? Um, I, I've always liked watching sport, but it, it was, I'm not sporty at all. Um, anybody who knows me knows that. Um, but I always wished I was. And so I feel like that makes me a true sports fan. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I grew up, uh, my family are Indian. Um, I grew up with cricket on my tally and then mm. footy was kind of what happened during the year when cricket wasn't on. So it was always on in the background. Um, and so it was probably like in my teens when I kind of started to tune into footy really and fell in love with the game. Um, and as my, you know, as that love grew, um, so did a weird kind of frustration with the game as well. That as much as I loved it, I didn't see myself in it or people like me. And when I say that, I mean um, people of color or and women. It just it just seemed like a really dangerous place for um, in either of those groups. And so um, I started to just get more and more disgruntled with you know, with the whole industry. And then um, Adam Goods happened and I really felt angry and I was more frustrated because I didn't feel like people were having the conversation I thought needed to um, be happening, which was around racism and what it's like to be different um, in this country and be different in this industry. And so I started to, like, it, it sounds really strange, but it was beginning to really affect me because I see sport as, you know, a microcosm of what we experience um, in the broader society. So it meant so much to me that sport represents all different types of people. Um, and so eventually I just decided, you know what, instead of standing on the outside of this and being frustrated, 
I'll, you know, throw my hands up and, and try and get in there and do something. And I didn't know what that was. I just knew that I could add value to this community. And, um, you know, so I, I was already volunteering as a multicultural ambassador. Um, and then I just sort of told the one person I knew that worked at the AFL that if there was ever anything I could do job-wise, I would do it because I just mm. wanted to be a part of it. And it was so fast that, you know, within three months I was hired at Richmond who were looking for somebody to do um, some kind of multicultural engagement for their members and fans. Um, and then once I got there, I sort of started to have a new conversation there that, was bigger than just multicultural fans um, and more about, you know, what does it mean to belong and do you have to change who you are to be part of a footy club or can you come as your whole self, your authentic self um, and still fit in and still enjoy the game? So um, once that conversation kicked off, it sort of just grew arms and legs all over the place and um, it's gotten me to where I am now. Runner, it's Al speaking here. I think it's it's so interesting to talk to someone who's been on the inside of um, a club like Richmond, uh, but also you've got that perspective you were mentioning from the outside, um, you know, and some of the frustrations you used to have. I mean, it's interesting that Damo and I were talking earlier on the pod about players kind of increasingly coming to the table these days and being able to represent themselves at, in a more authentic way. And obviously, you know, the, the racism situation at Collingwood um, and the way that's that's really uh, blown up in recent weeks and months um, and, and been, I guess, revealed, It's it feels like a, a setback in that department. But I guess my question is, from your experience within Clubland, have you seen a change in the way young players are able to come into the game in recent years and be themselves? I think so. I think... Um... And it's interesting that you say, you know, feels like a setback and I, I definitely get that sense as well. But I would kind of um, counter that with the fact that that we're talking about it is actually progress and um, that we can kind of uncover this stuff now is, you know, the progress that we've made because, you know, for so long this stuff was in the corners, in the shadows of the game and, and no one really wanted to address it and it's, front and centre now um, but I, yeah I, I find that the younger players that do come in are more open to conversations like these and they it's funny you talk, we talk about at the club like you have a window of opportunity with um, especially the um, male players that you've got their attention up until they play their first game of AFL and then once they do that they sort of go into this other side um, of the you know into the vortex of being an AFL player and, and they kind of become consumed so you've got this window of opportunity to really kind of support and develop their understanding of the broader context in which they play um, and so I find that that first year especially they're really interested in knowing about the club and what you know what those conversations are and they're willing to have them and then once they kind of get in further they need to really focus on their game a bit more um and then when they're a lot older they're also more open to having those conversations again because they've been around they feel like they want to leave a legacy behind so it's fascinating it's that kind of um top and tail Mm. 
sort of stuff that um, that's the that those are the opportunities um, you find with the playing group. Um, but I do find, you know, putting race aside, I find that you know when it comes to queer identities in football, it's the younger players that just seem to get it. Mm. And I don't know if that's just the broader social context of just coming in much more accepting and open to those conversations. Like it's not even an issue half the time for them. They're just on board, which is really lovely. Totally. Do you, do you reckon that that's a kind of indication that, you know, generational change and, and that the natural kind of change in outlook that that brings is going to be a big weapon to, to combat racism? I hope so, but we can't rely on that generational change. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and we see it still in um, AFLM with um, openly gay players. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we still don't have that. Um, despite, you know, statistically, you know, there would be players um, who are, who do identify as queer, but um, we just don't have that yet. And when you speak to younger players, like I said, they don't really see an issue with it. So it's not even necessarily that the individual players themselves have any problems with it, but it's the culture, it's the systems in the industry that stop that kind of progress. So, you know, with racism, people might not be racist or have harbour any kind of ill feeling towards each other, but if the system is set up to disadvantage certain groups, no matter how good we are as individuals, that's not going to change in and of itself. And so that's probably where the progress lies with people really reflecting on those structures and systems and processes that continue to disadvantage certain groups. Interesting. So, I mean, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's an awesome answer with regards to... Um the playing group and I want to ask a question about clubs and this is a question specific it's around Collingwood and the report but I think it speaks to to all clubs and so one one interesting um point that came out of the report was and this is uh this is a quote so there is a gap a very big one between what Collingwood football club says it stands for and what it Mm. does so in your experience, when it comes to sporting clubs or companies uh, in the corporate sphere or, or any organizations for that matter, how difficult is it to break down like bullshit rhetoric about values mm. and replace them with something real and tangible and effective? Oh, um, it's such a tricky question and it's such a tricky thing to <laughs> maneuver really. Um, I guess. There's a few things. I think it's difficult. I I have to acknowledge that that work is very hard and it takes everybody doing their bit inside an organisation to turn something like that around. Um, And it's very much got to be a a top-down sort of thing. Um, I guess what we're talking about is a culture and, and culture is a living and breathing thing. And so it's not... You know, often what we find, and I think what you're talking to, is that companies will set their values but then not live and breathe them. And and really, you know, it can look fancy, but if you don't in your everyday, if it's not infused through everything that you do, then it's meaningless. So 
it's really about cultivating mm. that kind of um, tangible culture. And again, I mean, it's, I guess, how do you do it with that? Yeah, how do you break through and do something real? Being real is um, vulnerable. It's a vulnerable place to be. It's mm. actually being okay to make mistakes and face them and face when we're not enough. And actually, as counterintuitive as it might seem, it's about putting the brand aside. And like you say, be real, cut, mm. you know, just cut through all of that because then when you do that, the brand is actually benefits in the end. Um, we're so, we're so quick mm. to, you know, try and make it look and sound good and protect ourselves. But actually, if we just do the work and the hard work, it will inevitably pay dividends. And so I think that's, that's mm. what it is. I mean, it, it, it sounds a bit wanky, but it, it comes down to being no. authentic, you know, taking it as if I harmed somebody, what would I do to make, to rectify that situation? I would do my best to repair the damage. I would do my best to mm. apologise in the most sincere way and I would do my best to make sure I don't behave like that again. And so we're talking about that just on a larger scale. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I feel like tying in with that generational aspect of younger players getting it, I feel like younger people in general, um, they're more savvy or that they can kind of call out like what's brand bullshit and what's what's genuine mm. more so these days. And, I mean, this is more of a statement than a question. Um, it because it's probably too much of a sticky uh, uh, question for you to answer um, succinctly anyway. But I, I, I do feel like Eddie Maguire's issue, if I was to crystallise it, was that he was such a master of spin and a master of uh, controlling a message and controlling how the brand of the clubs is talked about that I think at times, particularly late in the piece, he forgot to to convey genuine remorse or contrition and and well to be honest it was a, just a clusterfuck um of a um <laughs> a press conference that, that he gave towards the end of his tenure but p- putting that aside i suppose um and bring it back to the kind of structural element that you talked about um earlier i think that mm. one of the um one of the, the things that was distinguished in the report was the difference between interpersonal and structural racism. And Damo and I, um, we keep up to date with, you know, a lot of Collingwood media and a lot of social media. And I think there's a big confusion among all football fans and particularly perhaps Collingwood football fans at the moment, um, a confusion that can happen between what is structural and what, um, and what is the kind of interpersonal, for instance, um, and I, I won't uh, prattle on for too long, but Joffa, one of our famous um, ex, mm. ex um, uh, cheer squad leaders, I suppose, famous for the gold jacket. You know, he's come out and um, with some some views in recent weeks, um, and seems to believe um, that, for instance, the fact that we invited the Rock Dwayne Johnson to the club in the mid two thousands prove somehow that, um, that that Collingwood's not a racist club. But I think it goes to the point of um, fans sometimes believing that racism is just abuse yelled over um, the fence at players. 
Whereas what Ooh. we're talking about in the Do Better report, as far as I can tell, is is a different type of racism and it's a structural problem. So ha- my question is, how do you go about educating, uh, you know, stupid white people like ourselves about what, what the difference is between these types of racism and how they can be addressed? Oh, man. I mean, I, mean, I want to actually ask you, like, how do we, how do you want to learn it? How do you want to hear it? Like, what will you hear? Because I don't know, mm. you know, there's so many books and there's so much research and this in the last year even, you know, the whole world's gotten an education around this stuff and and I don't, I don't actually have the answer to that as to what we all need to actually get this message. Um, having said that, it is super complex. And so I get people reading that and thinking, oh, are you saying the whole, every single person in the club is racist? I think, you know, what, um, and I am really excited that we are talking about systemic racism because for so long, you're right, what we talked about was the interpersonal, you know, the hate speech, vitriol, jokes, um, blackface. Um, but actually, if you talk to people of colour, especially in um, large institutions like the AFL, what you experience is not that on a day-to-day. You know, maybe social media is where it turns up the most now, but um, what you experience on a day-to-day level is not the interpersonal. People are nice. Mm. People are trying to do their jobs. Um it's actually the systems, the processes that disadvantage you. Um, and so, you know, I guess in terms of what, how to get people to listen, I, I think getting to know each other, um, reach out of your, you know, usual circle and speak to people, you know, try and understand their experience. Um, read as much as you can or listen to podcasts if that's your jam. Like there's so much now out there, like I said, especially after Black Lives Matter. There's just, you know, there's there's so much content now mm. to um, hear, hear people's mm. lived experience. Um, but just like on, on systems and, and systemic racism, like, you know, I won't do it justice, but to, to really break it down, um, we're talking about, you know, small decisions that kind of cascade into major mm. social forces. So um, people hiring people that look and sound the same as them, you know, maybe unconsciously or subconsciously, not realising, you know, we all kind of do that. So if all the people hiring inside a footy club are, uh, white men they're likely to hire white men and women that are like Mm. them and we're not just talking about race Mm. we're also talking about class um, sexuality, ability you know that tends to happen and it happens, this is not a Collingwood thing, this is an everyone thing that happens everywhere Um, and so you know Mm. those are the things that we're talking about so it's not that people are willfully doing making these decisions but we're not examining the way we do things and we tend to just kind of mm. fall back on how we've always done them 
And I guess that's what this report is really asking to, to really break down some of those processes and, and really think outside the box now. I think you um you touched on it earlier, but I think the f- the first step, like um, or certainly what I think is one of the first steps, is just to listen. Like, you know, stop. We can stop talking. Like, just 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 listen and educate yourself. I I feel like in the modern sort of uh, specifically talking about sport and football, everyone is very quick with a take. Everyone is very qu- very quick with a tweet. Everyone is weighing in on these um on these majorly complex issues even the Collingwood Football Club was at one point but it sort of felt like there was a lot of noise but no one was actually listening to what the people at the center of this uh or or were um being largely affected by this were were actually saying Mm. um and then there were other tangents about the motives for why they were doing it and it was really interesting like you know I felt there was a very um a very different response certainly on social media to um Heredia Lumumba's claims about his experiences at Collingwood compared to one of Collingwood's favorite sons Leon Davis when he um mm. came out and vocalized something very similar like one was um very heated response um very sort of like a, a, a microcosm and a, and a range of different um, thoughts and opinions, some quite strong. Mm. Whereas I certainly felt with, with Leon Davis, it was, you know, there was a tinge of, I don't know, sadness or like people were like almost shocked. And, and I feel like that in itself is particularly interesting, but also, um, you know, listening to these stories and and um, not being so quick to dismiss or or to um or or to spin their way out of it is probably mm. not a bad first start. So, I I like this is another question about Collingwood, obviously, but the, the Collingwood Football Club does have a, a pretty grubby past and most uh, egregiously in relation to racism, obviously, but quite possibly like other areas as well. Rana, what do you think um, can be gained from addressing wrongs of the past generally? Uh, and in the case of sporting clubs like Collingwood, the process of truth-telling um, that the Do Better report um, calls for? I think you just sort of said it already. I think acknowledging the harm and the hurt and validating the experiences of those people and people of colour at the Collingwood Footy Club, like that in itself, truth-telling is about acknowledging that experience and hearing it and and honouring that. Um, and that in itself can be quite healing. So um, I think that's, you know, a, a massive thing to be able to do if, if the club can pull that off. Um, and then I think the other thing to be gained is to make sure that this stuff doesn't happen again or that we're vigilant um, and that when, if it does happen again, that, we know how to act and and process it and we have the right processes in place to deal with it and the people, you know, the right people in the room too Um, because I think that's the other thing. If you haven't experienced this or you don't have that lens over this stuff, it's very hard to see it and that sounds confusing and potentially like a cop-out but it's, kind of like well I don't really know what it's like to be a man I can guess at it but I don't really know what that's like and I'm not going to pick up on um a man's experience of something as quickly as you guys might and vice versa when it comes to womanhood and so 
you know, if you don't have people of colour in the room um, throughout your organisation, it's so much harder to pick up on this stuff and and then act on it appropriately. Um, I'm really, you know, that truth-telling side, we haven't started um, our work yet. We start in a couple of weeks, but that's actually one of the the bits of work that I'm really looking forward to discussing because I think that could potentially be such a powerful thing, you know, how we do that um, in a broader context but also in a footy way um, to footy people. What will that look and feel like? I'm really excited by that. And we're excited, Rana, by the, the potential for, um, look, the club to get better. But just from a personal point of view, and Damon and I have talked about this, like it's always been a, a lingering frustration, I think, that um, we haven't had the amount of Indigenous players in particular mm. in our club. And I think that a lot of Collingwood supporters probably feel that um, over the decades, you look at clubs with a proud history of Indigenous players, obviously you've got the clubs in the West, um, you've got Essendon mm. and Richmond more closer to home and I just fail to see how that can be a uh, coincidence given what what we're now discovering as as this kind of systemic racist par- past and also what we knew already about like the, the really obvious and egregious um, acts of racism mm. that, have, that have happened. And I guess I, I'm just saying that, geez, I hope we get some some Indigenous uh, talent through the door and that they want to be there. Like, imagine being a destination club for all different types of um, people. Yeah, yeah. So interesting, isn't it? You know, we talked about brand before and that's the, the missing piece, I think, for a lot of clubs that don't realise that different communities talk about the clubs in different ways and, and word gets around. Um, your reputation precedes you in that light too and so you're right you know you could be attracting so much talent in different ways um I know at Richmond you know there's a player that um only wanted like Richmond was the only place he wanted to be not because of you know recent on-field success but because of the community programming and and he just knew that that was going to mean more to him than anything else, really. And that's, you know, again, to that, you know, point around the youngest group coming up. But people people talk about clubs, you know, people immediately saw Essendon as a welcoming club because Basha was there and it opened up that club for the Muslim community in a massive way. And then he moved to Richmond and it did the same thing there people followed him to Richmond. Um, and so it, 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 you've got to get your own house in order because it will actually just be a really good thing for the club in so many ways, including talent. Of course. Well, look, Rana, we, we, we do hope that there's, um, there's a young player out there that, that one day um, ultimately decides that Collingwood is, is, is the place for, for he and she in, in that regard. And, we think that the uh, the work you're doing, and and in principally a lot of the work that has been done um, and that is being built upon, um, is you know a, a a pathway to get there. So we um we just want to say thank you for for joining us. It's been a it's been an illuminating chat. We've we've got a lot out of it. I think it's it's a really important um, time 
obviously, and and we we don't want to shirk this issue. We want to we want to talk about it, um, and we want to share it with our listeners. And I think you've um, you've 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 helped us in terms of that 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 education piece, and it and it's ongoing. Um, and we have a long way to go, but um, we we can't thank you enough for your time. It's it's been a fantastic chat. Oh, I'm so happy to have it. I actually wanted to ask you both, okay, um, how you feel as um, supporters of the club. I, it, it has been a tough time for members and supporters, and I know people have you know given up memberships, and um, I'm just interested to know how it's impacted you guys. Uh, it's a great question. To be honest, it's been an absolute wave of emotion as a Collingwood supporter. It's been, there's been, to be honest, not a lot of good. So there's been a lot of frustration. Uh, we kind of, we didn't get to the end of it, but there was about two weeks ago where we, we were sort of talking, Alex and I, it's like the season hasn't even started and we're just completely exhausted. Like we're, we're completely mm. over it. And I think, I think as, as, as longtime Collingwood fans, um, our, frustra- our frustrations really stemmed from us feeling like that this was an exciting moment for the club. And finally, like, I, I mean, you were talking about the brand, like, you know, no one kind of like looks at the Collingwood brand more than this podcast. And it's it's a bit of a running joke with us, but, you know, the Collingwood <laughs> brand sort of features on every episode. But it felt like there was an inflection point and it was like, this is the moment where, we just take a step back and we we acknowledge and we apologize and then we we build for the future. So when that sort of didn't go to plan, mm. I, I mean it was it was it was honestly such a jarring um, feeling. And and yeah, I, I know you felt the same, Al. Yeah. Look, um, <laughs> thanks for asking, Rana. It's been a tough <laughs> summer. Um, we called we called it in the opening of the pod the quiet summer that we we all wanted, um, where we don't have to worry about the footy for six months we watch, watch some cricket but um didn't turn out that way no um, but yeah i thought i think it's interesting i mean um nathan buckley's come out i believe today in an interview mm. with the AFL, afl media and one of the things he said was he was asked what his reaction was to the do better report and he said and this is the, his words what does this mean for us where do we go from here and I think mm. there's a bit of that kind of confusion um, and um, it's it's just a, a feeling of being a little bit unmoored because as football fans, I think we are enculturated into, you know, being loyal above all else and there's just all this, you know, probably bullshit rhetoric about side-by-side side, um, in the Collingwood Football Club Um but you know, you you want to kind of stand up for your club, and you want to be proud of your club, and you want to be able mm. to go and have a beer with opposition supporters and look them in the eye, and um, and be able to represent your club and be proud of what it stands for. And when that starts to decay a bit, um, you know, it's difficult in a social context to really own, um, you know, your love of of Collingwood there for a little while, and and that'll come back. And we're looking forward to the footy starting, so we can watch some footy, but. I think my feeling is that hopefully um, the Do Better report is exactly that and it enables us to do better um, mm. and, you know, potentially at the end of this process um, we could potentially be a, le- a leading light in the AFL. I mean, we feel like it's more likely than not that systemic racism is is 
is prevalent in some form or another across the industry. So perhaps at the end of this, we end up come out of it, you know, a stronger club, but also as as a club that we can be proud of and as a leader in the space. So that's the best mm. we can hope for, you know. So fingers crossed with your help, Rana. <laughs> no pressure. Oh, get there. God. I hope so. Um, I, you know, I would just want to say, like, as members, I mean, being inside a footy club, I know how much clubs do listen to their members and it's your voices that make things happen inside. If, if enough of you speak up um, and hold the club accountable, things change. And so, you know, that's the power that members and supporters have. And, and to, you know, don't let up. Like, if, if you want to be proud of your club, you know, to keep mm. keep on them, keep asking them questions and hold them accountable because um, that will just make everything move faster and people work harder and, and it can only be a good thing. Amazing. We will. We promise. Um, we'll be as vocal as we can, Rana, at, at the football <laughs> and uh, sending letters to the uh, Holden Centre. <laughs> you can... You can hold us to that one. But, uh, yeah, just again, want to thank you for your time. Uh, if you want to tell um, our listeners where you can be found, are you uh, – I, I know you've got a podcast. Oh, do, you yeah. want to, do you want to share what, what, uh, what you're up to, Let It Spray? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I'm on Twitter, um, at Rana Huss, and on Instagram, Rana B. Hussein. The B doesn't stand for anything. People ask me that all the time, and it's just because – Rana Hussein was already taken, so um, very much, very much like the Michael B. Jordan um, approach. Understood. Yes, exactly. It's my mm. homage to Michael B. Actually, um, and yeah, the Outer Sanctum podcast. Um, very similar. We are a women's footy podcast, but we also pod during the men's season as well. And um, I think, you know, we talk about a lot of this stuff really about what it's like to feel on the outer of football. And um, often we're talking about where politics and culture collide with footy culture. Um, and sometimes it's great and often it's not. So it's a lot of very similar conversations. Outer Sanctum podcast. Check it out, guys. Okay, Rana, thank you so much for your time. We're going we're gonna to let you go. We know it's late. Um, and yeah, keep up the good fight and, uh, you know, shake shit up at the, uh, Holden center. We're all, uh, we're all, uh, hoping that you do. Oh, thanks for having me. Okay. Well, that was a mammoth first episode of Pie Hard to kick off season three. Don't forget to follow us and subscribe to us uh, wherever you find your podcasts. We're on all the platforms. We're also on socials at Pie Hard Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Now, in a fortnight's time, we drop episodes every fortnight. We are going to do a season review and we want you guys to contact us on socials and let us know what your predictions are for season 2021. Now, these predictions can be on field or they can be off field. They can be wild or they can be straight down the line. Uh, send us a message. We'd love to hear from you guys and we'll read out the best ones. Alex, uh, I think it's been a very uh, eye-opening pod um, and we've enjoyed having Rana on. Um, how'd you enjoy it? It's great to be back in the chair thinking about Collingwood and, you know what, talking through some issues. I'm looking forward to a big year on Pie Heart. We'll see you in two weeks. This is Pie Hard. <laughs>